Why don't you stand up on your feet? Let's find somebody. Tell them good morning. You are amazing. A God who's unchanging. You're always unfailing. The beginning and the end. You are amazing.
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. It's wonderful to see you here this morning. It is gorgeous out, isn't it? There's nowhere more beautiful than East Texas this time of the year with the weather and the bugs gone and all that stuff. So hopefully you're enjoying your fall. we got a lot of people away hunting and uh, killing stuff that, so that the ecosystem is still in, uh, in line. So if, if you are an animal rights person, we want to tell you we're doing our part in East Texas in order to keep things perfectly balanced. And we will eat their sausage the rest of the winter. But beyond that... Uh, we're glad you're here. Would you take your worship guide and, and open it? I have a few things I'd like to highlight. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we're awfully glad that you are with us today, uh, whether it's here in the room or on the Internet. Uh, it is our hope and prayer that having been with us, you're encouraged and that, uh, that you fall in love with Jesus Christ because he sure loves you, uh, actually likes you, and uh, your sin uh, will not keep you from him unless you want it to. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but we're, we're glad you're with us. We're in a series right now, about four weeks into it, called It's Personal, Not Business. Uh, look, it's a look at First and Second Thessalonians, then also First and Second Timothy uh, in the middle of all that. And uh, so if you'll grab your Bible, we'll be with you in a few moments. But uh, again, we're glad you're here. I want to highlight, in our uh, for those of you in the room, uh, in the worship guide, uh, Josh and Allie Ferguson are our missionaries in Chicago. They're working with crew. Uh, also known as Campus Crusade for Christ, and they work specifically at the Great Lakes Naval Base uh, with uh, naval recruits. They disciple, they reach them for Christ, and, uh, and set up a, a discipleship process for them wherever uh, our country sends them. And uh, it's an amazing ministry. Read that uh, to find out more information. We give these out weekly to you to set on your, uh, on, put on your fridge or set in your, uh, somewhere in your house where, or in your car so you don't forget to pray for our missionaries regularly. Uh, they count on us to take them before the Lord, and, and uh, so please take time to do that. The only other announcement I'd really want to highlight today is as you walk in, you see a bunch of crate, or cartons. Um, it is, that's because it's Operation Christmas Child time. Uh, churches all over our region actually all over the world, but specifically in our region, are starting to pack uh, their Operation Christmas Child boxes. And we encourage you to participate. And we'll talk more about that in the coming three weeks. Uh, but at Carpenter's Way, we are a receiving station for all of those boxes from all of the area, from about probably 40, 50 miles in every direction. Uh, churches and gathering places in every community will cart crate those up in those cartons, and then they'll bring them to Carpenter's Way, and we load them up. Uh, that opens, that's called... Um, that is called National Collection Week, and it's November 14th through the 21st, so it's the week before Thanksgiving. It starts on a Monday and ends on a Monday. And uh, we count on Carpenter's Way family to, uh, to, to staff that. Uh, especially we need some help from guys on the final Monday, and that would be on the 21st. Uh, you'll notice as you go by, in the front there's a table with a sign-up. And if you would be willing to sign up for one or two sessions of that, that would be of great assistance to us, especially men. We need you on the 21st to help us load boxes in and put them inside of two semi-trailers, or at least two. We may have three this year. We've grown. So uh, we'll have some semi-trailers uh, in our parking lot, and we'll need to pack those boxes up in them because on Tuesday morning they'll take them to Dallas where they will open them all and, and then send them global. So it's an exciting time. We are privileged as a church to participate in the organization and structure of this. It's something we've, we've done for years, and uh, we would sure appreciate you being involved. Please don't wait till the last minute. So Robert, who oversees this, uh, Robert Grimes uh, did our greeting last week. He's the pastor of missions here, and uh, he oversees all of that, and uh, we do not want to give him a coronary. So if, if you'd be willing to sign up, 
during the days. Uh, and we need, we need people of all physical abilities during most of those sessions. So don't be afraid. Uh, we'll put you to work. Uh, people bring their boxes in. We sign them in. We have to tag the boxes. And then we load some. So it doesn't matter what your physical ability or lack of it. We could sure use your help. So as you're leaving this morning, if you take a look at that sign-up and sign up for a time that works and put it on your calendar. So uh, that is something we do. All right, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time. And we will take our offering. If, uh, if you are visiting with us in this room this morning, we ask that you not give. This is uh, something we do as a church family uh, to support not only the ministries that go on here at 400 North John Reddit, but also globally. We have 10,000 missionaries we support nationally and internationally through the Southern Baptist Convention. It's called the Cooperative Program. And then uh, on top of that, we have about 14 organizations and missionaries that we as a church support. And uh, we're excited to partner with them, like Josh and Allie. And we send, we send money to their ministry directly, and that's uh, part of what your giving goes for. So that's for those who are uh, part of our family, and we're glad you're here. And if you're visiting, we're glad you're here. And again, we hope you uh, enjoy your time. Most of all, we hope you fall in love with Jesus. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you we can gather and sing songs that we can shout out, praise the Lord, even, even in a language we don't understand, like hallelujah. Father, we love you. We are reminded every day as the sun comes up that you are the creator of all that, and you are more powerful than we could ever possibly imagine. You're more powerful than a political system or a country or a world system. You are a God who transcends all that, and you will fix the wrongs in, in due time. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can find our hope and our joy in you. And it's my prayer this morning, Lord, that in the next hour or so, that as we move away from the things of the world, I pray that as we look in your face, those things would grow strangely dim. We do love you. Pray that you would bless uh, the giver this morning, and we'll be careful to use these monies to glorify you and to, uh, to, to reach people for you and disciple. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of a church that's so giving and so loving. And, and uh, Lord, we just, we just thank you for all that you've done for us. So we commit the rest of our time to you now and pray that the words of, uh, of, of Chad's worship team and the words of Mark would fade away and that the word of God would endure forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
Colossians 1.21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I'm going to leave that last screen up there. and just, just look at that. Let that sink in. I know we talk about this a lot. Our sin be forgiven sin being wiped away, but if that doesn't blow you away, I, I don't know what will. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy. Not some preacher, not some guy on TV. You are holy. You are blameless, and you stand before him without a single fault. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's worth worshiping. That is worth worshiping. My soul finds rest in God alone. Salvation comes from Him. He is my rock, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Oh, I am overwhelmed. And I'm amazed I cannot help but sing Yes, I am overwhelmed And I'm amazed I cannot help but sing When I think of what you've done for me Canceled all my debt. Now you've given me your righteousness and holiness instead. Overwhelmed. Yes, I am. Ooh. 
Oui. 
Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that um, there could be chaos in our culture, in our homes, in our workplaces, even in our flesh with our health. But we are confident in one thing because of promises you have made, and that is it is well with our souls. And that, that, that means everything. It means everything, Father. Forgive us sometimes for allowing this to slide into religiosity, into uh, something we belong to, like an organization, when really what, what we are is the family of God, and by default that puts us into this gathering. It's my prayer this morning, Lord, that we would fight religiosity, that we would understand its dangers, and we, cannot, we would understand, Father, that you didn't save us to make us religious. You saved us out of religion because of its, its inadequacy. We do love you. We forget that. We don't prioritize you, but we really do love you, and we are thankful. So I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would simply help us to remember how amazing your grace really is. Thank you, Father, that we can gather like this. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid of being arrested. We pray for our brothers and sisters in China that we're just told they cannot tell their kids about Jesus for fear of losing everything. We pray that you would guide their hearts. We pray that you would comfort their souls. We pray that you would make them powerful, spiritually powerful through the work of the Holy Spirit. Father God, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy opened the letter to the church of Thessalonica with this in 1 Thessalonians 1.1. This letter is from Paul and Silas and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica. To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. As we have talked about this over the last few weeks, we've seen that this letter opens with an extremely personal greeting. And, and I want you to remember that, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but most of our electronics, I mean, I know you know this, most of our electronics are made in Asian countries. Um, most of the, um, the guides that you read in English, whether it's your television or, or your uh, mechanical guides to those things, are written in the language where that was developed and translated into English. That's why sometimes it reads sterile and doesn't always make sense when you're trying to put your table together or fix your television. Because they did, or mechanically, through a computer or an individual who doesn't live culturally among us, they try to translate that into a way that we can understand. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Well, sometimes the greeting of a letter is the same way. Because it's not written in English, it's written in Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic in the Scriptures, sometimes it's hard for us to gather just how personal and intimate it is. And as we've talked over the past three, uh, the three weeks or so, I I've tried to help you understand how extremely personal, that, that uh, rather than um, theological, or, or, or not theological, but, but um, like textbookish, this, this letter, this book is to us. Certainly within the Word of God, there are some books that are historical and written that way, and some are more theological and written that way. But the letters written in the New Testament are extremely personal. From his greeting from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who were well-known by the people that would be reading this because they were the most well-known missionary group in the New Testament, to 
telling their readers that they belonged to God, that they were the property of God because they had been purchased with his blood. Those are very personal statements. And and I know I keep repeating this, but it's only because it's so important. God did not send Jesus merely to keep you out of hell. I appreciate the evangelism that goes on today. And, and, And Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord and his judgment is the beginning of wisdom. So it is right to think about judgment after death and as a result to run to God. But the problem is, is that the church is not, for the most part, is no longer in the business of getting you beyond hell into what God really designed. And that is intrinsically personal. We have to understand that God did not send Jesus to merely keep us out of hell. He sent Jesus to accomplish his ultimate plan revealed to us in Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided. Why did he want us to be holy and without fault in his eyes? Because of this. God had decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's personal. Uh, Again, I know I talk about it a lot, but it's only because it's the core of your salvation. And, And we seem to miss that in the church. Certainly we talk about being the children of God. A lot, the church does. But we don't really talk about it like it's, like it's not a metaphor. We, we think of it as like just an example of his love for us. Please understand, that is his love for you. His desire was not to make you like children, but to make you his children. And we as Christians do a disservice to this culture, and we've talked about this on Wednesday night, but I want to harp on it a little bit. Not everybody ever created and ever born into life are the children of God. Let me be clear. It actually says in Romans that even the the Jews aren't necessarily the children of God. Just because you're a child of Abraham does not mean you're a child of God. What makes you a child of God is being born again into his family through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you and I as Christians become not only ignorant in our knowledge, but ignorant in our communication, and we say, well, we've got to respect them because they're the children of God. That is theologically and doctrinally false and unserving. The, the fact is, it, unserving, that's not a right word, but it, is, it, it, is, it works against us. You have to understand that the benefits of being a child of God only come if you are, in fact, a child of God. It, it, you, cannot, you are not an heir to his throne, no matter how much church you attend. It doesn't matter if you're the best Baptist that ever lived or Assembly of God person or your grandfather was a pastor. All of those things may make your life better. In fact, I'm going to point out later that Paul isn't dogging religion even in the book of Galatians. He's just saying it doesn't accomplish much. Religion in and of its own self isn't bad. It's just not good enough. It may make you a better person. It may give you false hope. It may make you feel better about yourself, but it does not solve your eternal problem. And we have to identify that. We have to understand that. Every time you say to somebody, oh, I'm sorry to hear that your child died. Now they're an angel in heaven. You disservice them. It's not the same thing as I talked about a minute ago, but you have to be doctrinally sound because there is comfort in theology. There is comfort in the truth. The reason why I don't want to tell a mom whose child just died that their child is an angel in heaven is because an angel serves God and man. That's a reduction in, in position. You are a, if, if you are a child of God, you get to go home as owner of the kingdom, not just resident. I mean, it, it really matters. You are not just an heir to heaven because God feels bad for you. He adopted your ugly fanny. He did that because he wanted to. That was his plan. 
His plan. What was God's plan to keep us from hell? To fight Satan? No. His plan was to adopt you. That's why. That's how he defeated Satan. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's me throwing a tantrum. Seriously, you've got to get your minds around that because it changes the worldview. It changes how you see sickness. It changes how you see life. It changes even how you see the election. This is not your world. You are a freak in this society. Well, how am I a freak? Because you're pro-life. That makes you a freak. Well, how does that make me a freak? Because the world just wants to do what's convenient. Don't you realize that? Wake up. People want what's convenient. They want what makes them feel good. They want what gives them hope and peace. Anything but God. And so when you come in and say, do the right thing, they go, why? It's inconvenient. And we act shocked. We act surprised. The fact is, the child, well, I'll get into that later. Oh, breathe, Mark, breathe. I just want you to be people of hope. If they outlaw what we're doing this morning, we're still going to do it. What if they arrest us? Then we go to jail and do it. What if they kill us? Then we go to heaven and do it. We do not stop because our hope is not in this life. Although I feel it is. My flesh feels it as I'm with you. I like what the world has to offer. I think everybody should have a 92-inch television in their living room. So they can see the mess in bigger pictures. I like that. I like movies. I like really, really good deep fried foods. I love all that. It's just a lie. If you take a steak, my Texas friend, and you deep fry it, it is no longer good for you. If you take vegetables and deep fry them, they are no longer good for you. Well, I'm having my vegetables today. You'll be happy with me. No, you deep fried that bad boy. It's not good for you. It's no longer a vegetable. Deep fry your finger and suck on it. It's the same thing. <laughs> We've got to stop lying to ourselves. It is what it is what it is. And nobody should be more aware of truth and reality than the adopted child of God because our hope lies in something that thief and moth and rust can't destroy. I want more money too, but I've got a thousand bosses who says that I'm overpaid already. You try that. It's life. I'm just kidding. I'm very well paid. The, the, fact is, the fact is, my friends, that we go through life wishing we had more, and Satan uses that to rob us what is true. What is true today is God's desire was not to keep you out of hell. It was to make you his child. Well, then why do we go to heaven when we die? Because that's our home. Jesus said, I go to build a room for you. It used to be mansion. It, it fed our, we, we, it, King James translates to this mansion, and it fed our, our egos. I'm going to have a mansion, and mine's going to be sweet. No, you're not. It's not what it says. It says, in my Father's house are rooms. I'm building one for you. It's going to be about that big, because you're not going to want to be there. Julie and I have never been on a cruise. Shocking, huh? Uh, but every time we think about going on a cruise, you have these decisions to make. It's really inexpensive if you get an inside cabin, a small one, but the farther you get out and the more you overlook the ocean. But we talk to people that cruise, and they say, look, that's cool, but what's the thing is, you're not in your cabin very often because you're eating 32 times a day. <laughs> so go with the cheap cabin. I got news for you. Your cabin in heaven is going to be sweet, but you're not going to want to be there. It's going to be home. It's not, I always use TBN Studios, it's not this cold, purple and gold room. It is home, my friends. You're going to kick your shoes off. You're going to laugh with your brothers and sisters, and your daddy's going to be sitting on the throne. And when he looks at you, he's going to invite you up, Revelation says, and seat you next to him, and he's going to whisper a name in your ear that only belongs to you and him. Heaven is home. It's not this cold, anti-hell place. 
tone. I, my mind always goes when I read about that, that name that he's going to write on a white stone, and it's going to be a name Revelation says that only, only you and, and your father know. I, I think of my upbringing watching Little House on the Prairie. And I think of the name that, that Charles Ingalls had for his daughter. It was Half Pint. Remember that? Because you are my age. Sorry. It's almost over. But, but, we, but we, that, that name, Half Pint, you know, you can kind of assume what it is, but they never told you what it meant. Why? Because it's none of my business. It's a daddy to his daughter. And that's how it is with you and your father. It's a daddy to his daughter and son. It's what it is. It's that personal. And we've allowed religion. And Christianity, the religion of Christianity, to turn this into a religious debate, it's, it's not. It's not a religious debate. It should never have been a religious debate. And we got lots of secondary theologies that really don't matter. We debate with our brothers and sisters down the street. I think First Assembly does a phenomenal got, uh, job at reaching the lost. They're constantly reaching out. They spend enormous amounts of energy and money reaching the lost to this community. I don't agree with them on everything. And they don't agree with me on everything, but I will tell you this, they are reaching the lost and there are brothers and sisters and we have no business debating those secondary things. No business. Because you know what? It doesn't change a thing. What matters is we are the adopted children of God, agreeing that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. Not through faith in Christ alone, plus baptism, plus circumcision, plus religious attendance. That's no longer alone. Oh, yes, it is. No, it's really not. Salvation through faith in Christ, alone, alone. We'll add another alone to it. Alone, alone, alone. Really, really alone. Well, what does alone mean? It means alone. <laughs> Don't work so hard. It means this is a gift because he wants to adopt you, and without that gift, you can't be adopted. You see, God is intrinsically self-centered. I know that shocks you, but when you're God, you can be. Read Ephesians 1. The reason he did this is because he wanted to, and it made him happy. He saved us, not for our good, but for his own pleasure. It says that in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm glad. And he sent Jesus to pay the price for me because that's what brought him joy. You, child of God, bring him joy. He's looking at you this morning, and he's saying, that's my kid. And Satan may whisper in his ear, he's a bad kid. And he goes, yeah, but he's still mine. You've thought that about your own children, unless you're my mother. <laughs> You've thought, I am so proud of that rebellious kid. I'm going to kill him, but I do love him. I know that because you're Texan. And you come and tell your kids about me. You talk to me about your rebellious kids. And if I agree with you, you'll pull a pistol on me. It's a weird Texas mama thing, isn't it? It's true. God loves you so much, you guys. He loves you so much. Don't believe the lies. And he had decided in advance to adopt us into his family. It's personal. It's personal. This was never corporate or religious. It was personal from the beginning with God, making personal advances towards you through Jesus. Look again at familiar text you know, John 3.16. For God the Father so loved, our, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Next verse. God sent Jesus. Go get him, Jesus. He sent him. He put a stamp on his forehead, put him in an envelope, and sent him through a woman's womb. Go get him. That's what Christmas is about. He sent Jesus into the world. What's that next line? Not to judge the world. What are we doing? Not to judge the world, but to save the world through Jesus. Go get him, Jesus. Go get him, because I want to adopt him. So I want you to go take their punishment. 
And everyone who believes in me won't have to live the judgment. You'll take their punishment, and then I can adopt them. And if you want to know how Jesus felt about that, look at his prayer in the garden. Are you sure there's no other way? There's no other way. Let's get it done. Let's do it. I, I, I just, this Christmas, going through my mind as I'm thinking about our Christmas season, I just keep thinking he gets this. Wherever you're feeling right now, whatever your fear, he gets it. He lived in a society that politically was always attacking him. He even had to pay taxes he didn't have money for. He grabbed a fish and it would happen to be in its mouth. He knows what it's like to have his family think he's crazy. Go back and read the gospel. They were constantly confronting him. He knows what it's like to have his friends turn their backs on him. He knows what it's like to have a traitor on his elder council. He knows what it's like to have his own family reject him. He knows what it's like to be killed by everybody and rejected by his best friends and denied. I don't know him. He should be crucified. He knows everything you've gone through. He knows what it's like, and I'm going to add this to the equation, and I've started months ago, but I'm convinced of it. In Isaiah, it says that he was a man who had no offspring. That tells me that there was a part of Jesus, the human, who actually mourned the fact that he wouldn't get married and had children. He was aware of that. He wasn't just God pretending to be man. He's a man looking at everybody else getting married, and he's going, gosh, I wonder what that's like. I'd like to do that. No. I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. You know why he says it five or six times to the disciples in the gospel? Because he had a will. He had a desire. But he was focused on the plan. He was focused on his Father's will, and he was willing to give up his own rights and his own feelings and his own pleasure in order to do the task at hand. It was personal. He was sent into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. In last week's text, we saw that because God had adopted the writers of this letter and those in Thessalonica, it was personal not just between God and them, but between the writers and them. Verse, uh, verse 2 and 3, he said, We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our study of this last week, we saw that Paul was thankful for them and prayed for them nonstop. You know what that, that's like? Life was hard for Paul. If you read it, he struggled. He even said, I'd rather go to be with God than to be here. This is so hard, but I think God has me here for you, so I'm going to stay a little while longer. Read the first couple chapters of, of Philippians. Paul was ready to move on. He was ready to go to be with the Lord, but he stayed for the purpose of the kingdom. And what encouraged him? These people. He was personally encouraged, and he prayed for them and thanked God for them nonstop. And what was his prayer? His prayer was that they had uh, chosen, he was thankful that they had chosen to respond to their adoption with a surrendered life. He said that they had shown themselves to be faithful to kingdom work, to live a life filled with loving deeds towards others, and they had enduring hope even in the face of persecution. I, I just... We, we can't move on in this letter or anything else until we understand that there is no one like the God you serve. If you, uh, th there are some of you who have never left East Texas, whether by a Ford or no reason to, but you haven't gotten on a plane, you haven't been farther than Houston, and I get that. But I want you to understand that because of that, you're at a little bit of a disservice because you've never come face-to-face -face really with another religion. You don't know what religion offers out there. And the answer is nothing. But work harder. Every religion in the world, including non-biblical Baptist theology, is spelled D-O. Do. Do this. Be faithful. Go to church. Don't drink. 
don't dance. Outside of Christian religion, you have worship Buddha. Make sure you give him this. Make sure you give him that. And then maybe one day, some religions, like in India, have millions of gods that you have to appease at one point or another, or you're going to die having ticked or left one of them out, and you could end up paying for it in the next life. The fact is that religion tells you to do this and this and this, and maybe, maybe then God will show you mercy. Even the Christian religion does that. We say, if you're saved, but don't blow it now. It's almost like God's more merciful for the lost person than he is the saved person. Feel your life, feel your existence, feel most preaching. And it isn't just Baptists, it's assemblies of God. It's, it's, uh, it's the Nazarene church that still teaches that you can lose your salvation as if you earned it. Why? It keeps you clean. We have grandmothers that continue to say, well, my kid is going to the Mormon church, but at least they're in church. No! No, not at least they're in church. Going to hell as a Mormon still is hell. Going to hell as a Baptist is still hell. You just go cleaner. Going to hell clean is still hell. Truth matters. It really, really matters. And and there's nobody like our God. There is nobody like Jehovah God of the Word of God. Our God doesn't wait for us to make ourselves better people in order to earn our right into His good graces. God sent his son for us. Our God doesn't just sit back fat, dumb, and happy waiting for us to beg him enough to get rid of our guilt. Our God, our God doesn't exist to say, just to say, okay, I guess, I guess you've been good enough. I guess I'll accept you. Our God actually, actually doesn't want us just to meet to talk about him. He wants us to personally talk to him. And he wants us to listen so we can listen, so hear from him. It says that in Scripture. He tells David to shut up and know that I'm God. Would you be quiet for five minutes? Just trust me. He wants intimacy with us. Our God, throughout the scripture, makes breakfast for his rebellious children. Come have breakfast with me. Are you mad? No, let's have breakfast. Our God is different because grace after grace, mercy after mercy, chase after chase, never stops. Ever. He never stops chasing Our God is different than any other God ever thought up. Our God wasn't thought up. He was in the garden. He created it. He came chasing man after he fell. Adam, Eve, where are you? We're in the bushes. Why are you in the bushes? Because we're naked. Hey, you idiots, I made every part of your body. What are you hiding for? He didn't say that. He said, who told you you're naked? Did you eat of that tree I told you not to eat of? He should have struck them dead at that moment. In fact, I would like to argue that it's so unbelievable, and this is going to offend about eight of you here who believe this, but he, his grace is so sufficient that he didn't destroy and start over like some like to believe about Genesis. He stuck with the original plan. I'm going to adopt them. You see, I think sometimes when we start making things up so we believe it and understand it a little more, it actually reduces the level of grace, mercy, and compassion God has for you. He's not going to drown you like Noah, uh, the people outside of Noah's Ark. He's going to stick with the plan and offer you grace. And for those of you who've accepted it, which I'm sure is most of you in this room, you're stuck with this. You're stuck with this love. You're stuck with this compassion. And according to Colossians chapter 1, you stand before him right now pure and holy, no matter what you did last night. Because of his work. Because of his work. There's nobody like our God. Our God did not come send Jesus down to create a religion. Our God sent his son to grow a family. 
God did not come to create a religion. He came to create a family. And the people of Thessalonica realized that this was more than a religion. It was a relationship with the living God who loved them and made them his own. And their reaction to it was personal. They gave him everything. Folks, it's hard to be a child of God in this world. The world looks at us as freaks because of our value system. It looks at us as freaks and even a threat because of our confidence in the Lord and our focus on him. So we are a threat to our culture and our society, whether they're Republican or Democrat. You are a threat. Why? Because you cannot be, if you're truly surrendered to the Lord, you cannot be twisted and turned into their mold, no matter how good they sell you. The true child of God, who is completely surrendered to the Lord, finds hope in the Lord, not in a political system, unless they're distracted. And that makes you dangerous for that said political system. You are dangerous to the citizens of the United States of America who are not the children of God, or serious about it. Why? Because you have core values that don't change. And the whole system is set up to change. I know. I grew up in California where change starts. We will never accept gluttony, lying, cheating, stealing, homosexuality. A transgender lifestyle is acceptable. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we're going to alienate you. It means that we're going to do what God did to Jesus. We're going to come find you and tell you about Jesus. Unfortunately, our rhetoric too often is angry and bitter. Why? Because we started believing we're a political action team. Our goal is not to make sure every, every, room, every store has a men and women's bathroom. Our goal is to go and stand between the bathrooms and tell whatever clothes they're wearing, whoever's in those clothes, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners like them. What are we doing? Well, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. What will the church think? Most of the church will hate you for that. I know. I get the emails. But you know what? They're not the church. They're religious. You see, I, I want to say this morning that there's nothing wrong with religion except that it distracts you from the relationship. You start believing that we have a set of uh, an agenda and a set of goals that's outside of accept or reaching people for Jesus Christ. You start, you start believing that, we want to, that our goal is to save this country. Our goal is not to save this country. Our goal as the children of God is to take as many people out into our country as we can. You are an ambassador for another kingdom. You are an alien and stranger here. And for 200 and some years, we've been able to pretend as white middle-class Americans that this is just fine. And I'm telling you, it ain't. Read the scarlet letter. I know most of you won't, so I'll ruin it. It's the preacher that got her pregnant. It's always been the preacher that gets you pregnant. Why? Because he's a religionist. Doesn't matter how good a Baptist you are, if you don't know Jesus Christ and he's not your hope, you are a religionist. And that's dangerous because it looks and smells, it doesn't taste, but it looks and smells just like a relationship. And, and that's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. The temptations for us are real, and we want to feed our flesh. It's hard here. Even the church is full of pain for us at times. And yet, because of all he has done for us to make us his kin, to make us his children, we are encouraged, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, to do this. Therefore, I a prisoner for serving the Lord. In other words, I'm struggling too. I beg of you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. And if you are God's kid this morning, then you have been adopted by God, the creator of all things. He is your daddy. And Paul begs us here to choose to respond to our adoption by living lives worthy of that calling. The Thessalonians had done that. And that was such an encouragement to Paul. I beg of you, and then I'm going to rabbit trail for a second, and then I'm going to get onto the actual text for today. <laughs> this has all been free. I beg of you to not let this become a religion. Please. Religion, as a Christian, as a true child of God, if you become religious, what you will do is you will begin to rationalize truth. And you will get as close to the world's lifestyle as possible while not trying to cross the lines you don't think should be crossed. Let me be clear. It's always a sin to have sex outside of marriage. It doesn't matter how good it makes you feel. doesn't matter how happy it makes you. That's just simple truth. And the Spirit of God within you wants you to honor Him with your life. It's always a sin. No matter how much money you save to cheat on your taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. It's always a sin to go 75 in a 65 mile an hour zone just because you need to get there faster. That's breaking the law. So you want me to, I, I don't want you to do anything. I'm just telling you that religion gives you the ability to stretch the rules. But if it's personal, you saved me to live differently. It changes everything from your marriage relationship. Your spouse may be the biggest jerk ever to walk the face of the globe. But if you've been bought with a price as the biggest jerk to ever walk the globe and loved by somebody who's never failed, then you all of a sudden re realize that you've been showing mercy. Maybe you should show to somebody you're spending your life with. You see, this is real. It's not religious. It, it's not about n punching, punching cards and circles and everything. What it's about is walking with God every moment of every day. It, it's about living in fellowship with the Lord and realizing that every minute is an opportunity to serve Him. It's about walking worthy of your calling not walking worthy of your church. It's different. And I think most of you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I think that we should be a little bit more concerned right now that people can say they're in fellowship with God while sleeping around. That's a concern for me. I think we should be concerned that the church is full of people that claim to love the lost but hate and hate their sin, but actually act like they hate sinners. I think that should be a concern because the two aren't the same. But they need to know they're going to hell. I assure you, they know they're in trouble with God. That's why everybody drinks. What? You drink because you're not content with sobriety. Did, did you not figure that out? The reason a person puts drug in their veins is because they hate not having drug in their veins. The reason a person commits adultery is because their relationship isn't satisfying and they need a rush. You knew that, right? The reason people sin is because they need sin to feel better. Isn't that why you sin? Seriously, isn't that why you sin? I mean, don't you tell your spouse off because they're treating you in a way you don't deserve to be treated? 
And I'll be darned if I'm going to let you talk to me like that. So I'm going to talk to you like this. How dare you violate my rights? Isn't that why you tell the waitress she's not doing a good job or leave no tip? How dare you not bring me my unsweetened iced tea in time? Because she has violated your right to sweet tea. I got news for you. That's exactly why we sin. So are you saying that not tipping is a sin? Oh, my. I am saying that as a religionist, you need to tip at least 10%. Walk with God. Every opportunity is a ministry. Every waitress is a potential brother or sister. Every contact, every Democrat, every Republican voting for Trump or Hillary, every one of them are an opportunity to adopt them out of this mess into another kingdom. But to do that, you have to understand that there's choices you're going to have to make that hurt you. And religion doesn't have you do that. Religion has you get as close to the line as possible without crossing your morals or changing them. It is what it is. And what encouraged Paul is that he wasn't the only one paying the price for this. So too were they. And I beg of you this morning as, as we continue not to become religionists. It's personal on God's side, and I beg of you to make it personal on, on yours. Offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Put aside your flesh. Choose to run from temptation. Have joy when the world seems to be spinning out of control. And remember, it's almost on, over. So run for the prize through the ticker tape of the race we call life. Don't let this culture, don't let the news, don't let the election cycle, don't let Facebook, don't let your job or your money or anything else ruin your joy. Remember whose you are, who chose you, who you responded to, and walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of it. It's not that complicated. It's just self-deprecating. It's not complicated. I love how this letter flows because from these thoughts, he goes on to 1 Thessalonians 1.4. We know. Now, now, okay, circle that in your mind. We know something. What do you know, Paul? We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his people. Let me put it in a way that will make your hair stand up on your neck. What he's saying is, after having said all this, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness to God. We love you guys, and we pray for your faithfulness to continue. And I want you to know, I know you're saved. You know, most of us at one time or another are fully aware of our weakness in the flesh. And we go, boy, I sure hope I'm saved. I trust God. Okay, just trust him. Paul is actually knows that they're going to doubt themselves too. And he says, I know you're saved. So here's a, here's a clue. Paul is going to tell them how he knows that they are actually the property of God. And I want you to pay attention because you're fixing to learn how to tell a person how to tell if a person is truly adopted or just a Christian religionist. That's what he's going to teach us right now. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. How do I know that? We know God chose you to be his own people. For when we brought, uh, brought you the good news, it was not only with words, religion, theology, doctrine, but with power. Power. More power. You're staring at me like I'm teaching you. Stop staring. We're just in my living room. Take a deep breath. Power. This is real. That's my tantrum. It's real. This is real. This isn't just an ascension to a religion. You're not just becoming Mormon or Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran. You're not just becoming a Hindu. This is real. And it really, really has power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Pay attention. 
The moment of our salvation is very personal as opposed to a religious thing because not only did God choose you for this, not only did he send his son to pay for this for you, but also at the second when you said, I believe, at that instant, the power of God transforms you. Just like that. Just like that. Praying a prayer, being baptized is not what saves you. Walking an aisle. It's God at that moment you said and you believed. I believe it is God at that moment changing everything. Galatians 5 says it this way. So Christ has truly set us free from the law of sin and death is what he's talking about. From the penalty of our sin. He set you free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again to slavery of the law. I'm going to add religion. That's what he's talking about, slavery to the law. And I put in parentheses in my Bible, religion. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision or religion to make you right with God, then Christ is of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised or religious or any religious duty, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, religion, by being religious enough, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. Wow, there's a little clue. In other words, I don't feel that clean. Don't worry about it. That's a promise coming. You're not going to feel clean. You're going to be promised clean. And by faith, you trust that. We're back at the faith thing. You believe that God keeps his word. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or religious at all. (gasps) How can a pastor say there's no benefit in being religious? A pastor isn't. An apostle is. There's no benefit in circumcision for being or being uncircumcised. In other words, it doesn't benefit you now to be religious or not. If you're a child of God, you're in, baby, you're in. It's not circumcision or baptism. Listen, when a person realizes that they are a sinner and in trouble with God, they have a choice. Every person, man, woman, or child, anywhere on the face of the globe, when they look up into the sky and see the moon, or when they realize, when they look in the mirror and realize that what they're doing is unkind, or they're not measuring up, or they're not a good person, or they're hateful, when a person realizes that, And they do. They have a choice. They can turn to the creator of the moon or they can find a religion that makes them feel better about themselves. Some people do it with Christianity and some people do it with Hinduism. Some people do it with Islam. And you know what? I'll be truthful with you. Sometimes, actually, Islam makes more sense because if I work my way, it seems like I'm earning it. (gasps) Take that one out of context and put it on Facebook. Pastor Mark says Islam's a better religion. I didn't say that. I said, if you're going to choose religion, you might as well choose one that makes you feel good about yourself. So if that's Catholicism or angry Baptist or Islam, go find one. But if you want true redemption, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. If you're doubting me, and if you, some of you are looking at me funny, actually all of you are, but I want to I show you this again in Romans chapter 3. We look at this all the time. For no one can ever be made right by doing what the law commands. Religion. The law simply shows you how sinful you are. Keep going. I'll read it. I got it here. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with himself without keeping the requirements of religion. (gasps) There's a way. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Here we go. Verse 22. We are made right with God by what? Placing our faith in Jesus. 
And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone sinned, not me. Well, then you don't have a problem, and this isn't for you. Everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we're righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. What saves you is not some religious act like baptism or the Eucharist or church membership or good deeds or circumcision or water baptism or walking an aisle or praying a prayer. What saves you is God declaring you right with himself when you transfer trust from yourself to him, allowing him to apply what Jesus did to your punishment. Debt paid in full. That's how you become a child of God. And how do you get that? Because somebody here is thinking it. How do you get that? Romans 10, 9 through 13. If we openly declare that Jesus is Lord, it's Jesus. Uh, look, I know we've turned this into, I've got to take a testimony time. This doesn't even associate necessarily with baptism. It's just a declaration. It's Jesus that's the answer. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scripture tells us, everyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced, whether Jew or Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. All. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do I do? Don't get baptized. Don't get circumcised. Don't join a church. Run to Jesus and tell him your need. That's what this is saying. That's what he's saying. So, Pastor, is it praying the prayer what saves you? No. One more section, and then I'll get to our text for today. Ephesians, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. Once you were dead because of your disobedience of your many sins. You used to live in the sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the power in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So I want to pause for a second. Bill will carry, carry on in a second. But uh, Zach, Zach got me thinking about this a couple years ago when he was doing some tours and speaking. Um, the church today commonly uh, describes the lost person as treading water and God reaching down and saving them. He's got a picture of these shows in his shows. And, uh, and, and, and actually picking them up out of the water and you're treading water and Jesus finds you. It's a beautiful picture. There's a paintings like that. They're all over the place. The problem with that is it's not true. You're not treading water if you don't know Jesus. You're dead. You're at the bottom of the ocean. You're in trouble. You don't even know you're in trouble because you're dead. Jesus Christ jumped out of the boat, swam down to the bottom, grabbed your dead fanny, pulled you up to the top, breathed CPR into your life, and breathed life into you. You can't fix this on your own. You can't be religious. Religion says you're treading water. All you got to do is find the right boat. I'm telling you, you're dead. There is no boat for you. There's only Jesus that breathes life into your dead lungs. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead... Because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised, us, raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in the future, uh, in, in all future ages, as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. 
God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for religion. You don't get saved because you were religious enough or, or did good things. You, you didn't get saved that way. We have good things we've done. So none of us can go, well, when I figured it out, I'll tell you what, I started really changing my life. That's a lie. You can't change. You're dead. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done or religious things. None of us can boast about it. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. Look how Satan has even changed that sentence. We turn that around to, to people who have low self-esteem. We say, oh, you're God's masterpiece. He finds you pretty. That's not what this is about. He's saying you're not your own religious masterpiece. You're God's redemptive masterpiece. Do you see how Satan changes things? We've turned it into a stinking Hallmark card that makes you feel better if you have a weight problem. You are precious to God because he redeems you, not because you look good. And not because your DNA was created by him. You are precious to God because he sent his son and killed him so you could live and you responded to that and you are now his masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus. You are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things he planned for us to do long ago. So get this, we were adopted because of the work of Jesus. Now there's something for us to do. We can go do it. You've been chosen to participate in the family business. Man, I, I love this. This is, this is genuinely life-changing. Romans 8, 1 and 2, one more passage. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. And because you belong to him, there's that phrase again. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, power. You weren't saved by a religious thing you did. You were saved by the power of God the moment you believed. And he has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Family, it is the very same power that resurrected Christ from the dead that has resurrected you from spiritual deadness to this new adopted life. Religion, it doesn't save you. Baptism can't save you. It's just taking dirt off the body. Circumcision can't save you. It is the power of God that saves you and then changes you completely. It's not a religious adventure. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through the rest of the chapter. You ready for this? This is today's text. Take a deep breath because it's going to be really fast. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and he chose you to be his own people. Verse 5. For when he bought you, he, we brought you the good news, it was not only with words but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said is true. And you, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Because when they responded to the gospel, it affected their lives. That's how Paul knows. It wasn't just a religious interest or study or thought. It was transformative. Do you remember when you got saved? John, when did you get saved? Seven years ago and three months. Six hours and 14 minutes and 32 seconds. John, did you, did you, did you change? Power of God. When were you saved? Who else? Who else remembers the moment they got saved? Le Les. October 1972. W what happened? 
Did, did your life change? Somebody else. Stop being afraid of dying. Come on, brothers and sisters. This is real. We're not at war with the Taliban. We won. Who else? March 1961. What happened, Don? How did your life change in that instant? Awesome. Somebody else. April 1983. This is, the, this is why I got into ministry. What happened in April? What changed? Learn to love people. Somebody else, when did you meet Jesus? When did your world get rocked? February 1984. And these are not plants. If you're on the internet, don't be that cynical. We're not as good as the political system. <laughs> February, again, what? 1984. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was going to say I was born that year, but I wasn't. I'm 1966. What, what happened, Sabrina? Sabrina realized that, that at that moment it was a relationship, not a religious thing, and she wanted to serve him with her life. Anybody else? Charles, at age 54, at the Emmaus Walk. Did things change after that? Unbelievable. He knew he was forgiven. For those of you who don't know what it's like to know you're forgiven, run to Jesus. It's the coolest feeling. Look, I know that it makes some of you uncomfortable, but I, I told you that when I was in high school, I was addicted to pornography. And you know, people go, well, great, you're over it now. But I want you to understand that the greatest part about not being addicted to pornography is not that I'm not looking at pornography, but that I don't have to lie anymore. You can look at my phone. You can look at my computer. You can look at my life. It is the coolest thing to not have to remember where your secrets are hidden. That's why I'm a fan of freedom and scandalous grace and overwhelming mercy because none of us are good enough to maintain the lie that religious demands, including the Baptist religion. We are a mess without Jesus. This thing we sang about is true. His grace is unbelievable and His mercy is overwhelming. And our life re reaction is not a religious one. It's, a, it's an overwhelming one. Do you remember when you got saved and God overtook your life? And then somewhere along the line, you went to church and we retaught you how to be religious. Run back to Him. Walk with Him. Do not let this election season rob your joy. It's just a country. How can you say that? I fought for our country. You did great. Thank you for fighting for our country. But a thousand years from now, none of us will be carrying the red, white, and blue. None of us. What will matter is what we did with Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to vote and take as many people from the opposite party with you into the kingdom. Don't let Satan create hate among the believers, we are not religious. We are his family. And it is personal. And this text is begging you. 
Paul knew that these folks were truly God's kids because of the powerful impact the Spirit of God had on them. And, and you heard it in this room, others. He mentioned several of them. They had joy in the face of persecution. They naturally became examples as others saw the change. It was powerful. Actually, I got to go back to that text and read you the rest of this. <laughs> Let me find out where it's at in my notes so that I don't throw Bill off. First uh, Thessalonians 6, can you put that up? Are we there? Okay, so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in, fi- in spite of the s- uh, severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you inti- inti- imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. Do you hear he's shocked? I mean, we go in to say, hey, have you checked Thessalonica out? And they're going, oh, not only have we checked it out, we hear about them. They keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Paul, Paul listed these things. They had joy in the face of persecution. They naturally became examples as others saw the change that, that was in them, and it was powerful. They had turned from their old idols to serve God, and their hope was found in their future, not in their past, not in their present. This is real, family. It's personal. It's not religious. Reject religious, religion and walk with Jesus. Reject religion and walk with Jesus. Satan has lost your soul. That's done but we have allowed him to rob us our joy by making this corporate. We've allowed him in. In the book of Revelation, Jesus writes a letter to a church that's very much like the Western church today. Very religious, doctrinally sound. But listen to what he says, Revelation chapter 2, and I end with this. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the, chains, uh, the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not, and you've discovered they're liars. You have patiently suffered for all without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. If Jesus were to write us a letter and we were to stop there, there's not one of us in this group who wouldn't be proud of that. In fact, we'd... If, if we had that kind of letter from the Lord, we would be so proud of ourselves. That is the vision statement of most churches. Verse 4, but I have this complaint against you. What's it say? Because love for each other and others only comes from the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Everything else can be fake if you know enough about religion. Dear God, help us to be personal with you. And as a result, be personal with each other. And as a result, be personal with the world. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that brought us back to life. Now change our worldview. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study will start in 10 minutes.